0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We are doing Christmas in Genesis this year. Christmas in Genesis. And we're going to look at uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. In just a moment, uh, we'll look where God tells Abram that he will bless all people on earth through Abram. But I also want you to flip over to Galatians chapter 3. If you just want to hold your hand in Genesis 12... And flip over with me to Galatians chapter 3, because I want you to see what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says about these verses that we're going to read and that we're going to study and that we're going to spend the bulk of our time on in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 and verse 8 says this about what we're going to be studying today. He says this, The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, or you could translate that the nations, your translation may have, by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. And then he quotes it, all nations will be blessed through you. So the Apostle Paul, when he thinks about Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that we're going to look at it, he's saying that, that that, that that passage we're looking at is God announcing the good news of the gospel in advance, that we should see the gospel in Genesis 12 as we go there, and that the good news of the gospel is that God plans to bless all the nations, and he plans to do it through Abraham and his descendants, or Abraham and his seed. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's great. I'm glad for that. But, you know, I'm not really Jewish. I'm not a biological descendant of Abraham. So it doesn't really—I'm glad I'm part of the nations. I'm glad that we'll get blessed through him. But I want you to hear what else Paul says right there around that verse about, uh, about announcing the gospel ahead of time. In Galatians 3 and verse 7, Paul says, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. And in verse 9, he goes on to say, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And at the end of the chapter, the very last verse, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, that's important because as we look at Genesis 12, you may think, okay, yes, the descendant of Abraham, Jesus is going to come. He's going to come in the line of Abraham, and through Jesus, God's going to bless the nations. And I'm glad for that, right? That's why it's a Christmas sermon because God sending his son is the fulfillment of this promise in Genesis 12. And that's true. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is the descendant of Abraham. But I want you to hear from the New Testament. That God speaks through the Apostle Paul, and he says more than that. He says, Yes, Jesus' coming is a fulfillment of this. But he says, All of us who were in Christ are children of Abraham, are descendants of Abraham, are Abraham's seed. And that God uses all of us, through us, he's going to bless the nations. And we should look at Genesis 12 with with great interest, because that means the promises to Abraham. This is, we're heirs of those promises. And that these plans that God has for Abraham are plans that God has for us. And so we come to Genesis 12 as we read, realizing... But these promises are for us. These directives that God gives are for us as children of Abraham, as those who believe, as those who are believers in Christ Jesus, as those who are found in him. So let's go back and look at Genesis 12 through that lens, understanding uh, that way. We are people on this side of the cross, and so we can look back and see, hey, this is how God intended for Genesis 12 to be read. We read that in Galatians 3. So let's look at that with fresh vision and with fresh ears, knowing that these promises are for us as well. I want to put Genesis 12 in some context before we read it. If you were with us last week, you know we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created all things out of nothing by the word of his power... In the space of six days and all very good, over and over again, he would make something and then see that it is good. God would say, he would speak with power, and then he would see that it was good. And so we saw that last week. We also saw in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve distrusted God's goodness and they disobeyed God's word. They, uh, they disregarded God's plan for how life should be lived. And as a result, we saw that shame and fear and blame and hate and decay and pain and death came into the world as a result of Adam and Eve not living life the way God designed for it to live. And we said, hey, that's important. Because as we're talking to family at the holidays, as we're talking to coworkers around uh, the coffee pot or the water cooler, That as people say, oh my gosh, it's awful, did you hear about fill in the blank, the latest bad thing, somebody has cancer, there's been another mass shooting, isn't it awful that this is going on, that we're able to say, hey listen, did you know God created all things good? And things are broken and messed up in our world because we haven't lived life as God designed for it to be lived. It helps us answer those questions about the problem of pain and suffering in our world. We also saw right there in Genesis 3 that God made a promise. And our Christmas message last week was Genesis 3.15, right? Right? That God was going to send a human, the seed of the woman. And at great cost to himself, the serpent is going to strike his heel, right? So at great cost to himself, he's going to deal evil a decisive blow. He will what? Crush evil's head. And at this seed of the woman, this human that's going to come... He's going to come and do battle with evil, and he's, he's powerful enough to be successful where Adam and Eve were not. And so we're looking for this seed of the woman to come, this champion on behalf of mankind to deal, deal evil a great blow, a death blow to evil. And if you keep reading in Genesis, Genesis 4, Eve has kids. Maybe one of these is the seed of the woman that's going to save us, right? Well, if you keep reading, one child, Cain, kills the other one, Abel. Shocking. Maybe if you were in the car with your kids over the holiday, it's not so shocking to you. But the first murder is of a brother. It comes into the world, and Cain feels guilty about it. But in a few generations, Lamech kills people and brags about it to his two wives. Another deviation from God's plan for marriage, which is one man and one woman and so we see things are degenerating downward and then in genesis 6 we're told that the hearts of humans were only evil all the time so god sends a flood to protect and to cleanse his creation but in the midst of the flood god saved noah and his family and when they come off the ark god restates the creation mandate it's a new start He says, I want you to be fruitful and fill the earth with images of God, just like I told you to do at the beginning. So we have this fresh start with all of humanity being judged except for Noah and his family. Well, it's not very long if you keep reading in Genesis 9 until Noah is drunk and naked and something shameful takes place. We don't know exactly what it is. The text is kind of vague. And by Genesis 10 and 11, instead of filling the earth, the humans decide to all gather in one place. And instead of glorifying the name of God, they decide to make a name for themselves by building a tower to heaven. And so the people on the earth want to invade heaven, even while resisting God's plan on earth. And so God confuses their language He spreads them out through the earth, which scatters sin and rebellion all over the face of the earth. And so by the time you get to the end of Genesis 11, chaos and dividedness is everywhere. Every part of God's creation has been infected by sin and brokenness. And so as we get to Genesis 12, the question is, what will God do next? In Genesis 3, when they disobeyed him, there were curses that came. Is he going to curse mankind again? In Genesis 6, when things had gotten much worse, God sent a flood in judgment. He said he's not going to flood the earth again, but is he going to come this time in fire? Or in earthquakes? Or some other judgment of God on humanity? What is going to happen? What is and he would certainly be justified in doing that. But it's in that context that we read these words in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Hear now God's word. Wow, do you hear that? The expectation would be judgment. The expectation would be curses. Five times in there, God uses the word bless or blessing. That's amazing. That should astound us. The first point of the sermon, if you have an outline, is is God is really gracious, You know, I want to sound more theological or impressive than that, but that's really the right reaction to Genesis 12, right? If you've read all the way to this point, the reaction is, wow, God is really gracious. It is surprising that he would react in this way. In all of Genesis 1 through 12, he's only pronounced blessing about five times, three in creation, twice when Noah comes off the boat. Now he does it five times in the the space of three verses. God is so gracious, No wonder the Apostle Paul, who was a student of the Old Testament, called this the gospel in advance. Because despite all the sin and the rebellion and the brokenness, God plans to bless all the people on the earth. All of them. Now this is a big cosmic idea, and I want to come back to that in a minute. But before we leave it, I want to come back and get very individual and personal. Maybe you're here today and you know that you have offended God. You know that you have lived life in a way that he did not design it to be lived. You know that you have really messed up. I want you to see how God responds to that here. I want you to see that God does not give up on his creation That his disposition is to bless even really broken and messed up and rebellious people. You may think, well, this is Abraham, the father in the faith. Well, yeah, from this point on, and he still makes mistakes after this. But if you read at the end of Genesis chapter 11, he's with his father, Terah. And at the end of Joshua, in Joshua 24, we're told they worshiped foreign pagan gods over in an area of the world where these people were building the Tower of Babel to make a name for themselves. That's where he was from. That's where he lived. He was a total pagan, not living life as God had designed it to be lived. And God calls this man and says that he will bless him and that he will use him to advance his kingdom. Listen to me. So that means that you should not believe the lie that God is against you, that you're too broken and messed up to come to him because his disposition is to bless those who come to him. In your sin, move toward God. Come to him. Don't run away from him. Move toward him because he lifts up the humble. He is close to the broken hearted. All right, so we see from the text that God is really gracious. I want you to see a second thing from the text. I want you to see this. Do you see here that God's blessings are never just for us? That God blesses us so we can be a blessing to others? Now, you may be thinking, okay, yeah, he says that about Abraham here in chapter 12, and verse 3. But remember Galatians 3, right? These promises are for us. We're the seed of Abraham saying these things to us as much as he says it to Abraham, right? And so do you see that God's blessings are never just for us, that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to other people? And I would go further and say, when we really meet him, like Abraham must have really met God, when we really meet God, we are blessed. It is a blessing to meet God. And when we meet him, He uses us to be a blessing to other people. You see that here in the text, right? Here's this pagan Abraham. He's 75 years old. He's married. He's childless. He hasn't lived life the way he got. And God comes to him and says, I will make you into a great nation. (laughs) Wow. I will bless you. I will make your name great. The people in in Genesis 10 and 11 have said they were going to make their name great by building this tower. God says, no, I'm the one who makes people's names great. And I'm choosing to work through this man, Abraham. I will make your name great. Why? Just so you can be great, Abraham? Just because everybody else sing your praises? No, what does it say? So that you will be a blessing. And he goes on, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those And all people on earth will be blessed through you. When we really meet God, we are blessed by having that relationship with him. And then he uses us to be a blessing to other people. We see that pattern in the Scripture. Think about Moses. Moses knew God. He knew who God was. He had heard of God. He believed in God. But when Moses really met God at the burning bush, then God uses him by sending him to Pharaoh. For Moses' benefit? No, for the blessing of God's people, the Israelites, so that they would come out of slavery. I think of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. He spoke for God, right? So he knew God, but when he really met God in Isaiah 6, and he has this experience of God, God says to him, I need someone to go to this group of people who are stubborn, and they will never listen. And they will resist anything that you do. Anything that I tell you to do, they're going to resist it. And Isaiah says, send me. <laughs> Why would anybody sign up for that job? Why would that happen? It's because when we really meet God in a real way and have an experience of His love and His blessing in our life, and we really see Him in all His glory and His goodness and in His grace, All of a sudden, nothing else really matters that much. We say, I have met the living God. So I can go anywhere. I can do anything. Nothing else really matters that much to me anymore except seeing Him glorified in all things because I have tasted and seen that He is good, because I see His glory and His grace, and nothing measures, there's nothing higher, there's nothing better. God has given me a relationship with Himself. And I can't ask for anything more than that. And I want other people to have what I have. It's what the Apostle Peter says in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he tells these believers in Christ that, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you can all gather together and just soak up his goodness and enjoy it and just wait until he takes us on to heaven where we don't have any problems anymore. And if we're lucky, he'll solve our problems in this life. (laughs) No, that's not how the verse ends, right? (laughs) You're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, Of people belonging to God, so that, what? You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's a big concept. Let's make it more personal. Let's bring it down to our level. Here's what that means. That when we meet God, when we really experience him, it destroys our consumer mentality, right? It destroys that attitude that says, what's in it for me? You see, most of us come to God because we want him to give us something, right? I want to be married. I want the marriage I have to be better. I want to advance in my career. I want my kids to be okay. And so, God, if you can help me with that, I will come to you, and I'll even do stuff for you if you will do this thing for me. But if you're not really working for me, if you're not really working these things out, then I'll just say, Christianity doesn't really work. I tried it, it doesn't work, and I will look for something else. We really want to use God. We come to God with this consumer mentality, this what's-in-it-for-me attitude. But when we really meet God, the real God, the true, the living God, in His glory, in His grace, in His goodness then you don't come to God looking for something else. You say, God, I just want more of you. We begin to say, I have a relationship with God, and that is enough for me. I don't need anything else. We think we need career advancement to be happy. We think we need our family to be just right in order to be happy. We think we need this thing to be happy. Listen to me. When we live like that, we are living alive. We will not have any real joy until we are caught up in something bigger than ourselves and something bigger than our own interests. Until we have something on our heart that is bigger than our own career advancement, that is bigger than our family or our love life, that is bigger than our hurts and our heartaches, then we're always going to be dominated by those things. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's okay to go to God and say, you know, Lord, I would love to have this. That's a desire you've given me. But if I don't have it, it's okay because you are enough. And if you never answer that prayer, I'm going to continue to walk in your ways and to serve you because of your gracious and your goodness and your glory. You see, that's a different mentality That I'm willing to be here as long as you're willing to give me something. And that's the way God tends to work. His blessings are never just for us, right? When we meet him, when we really meet him, we're blessed by him, just by him alone, by his presence. And then he uses us to be a blessing to others. I think about Moses. You remember what Moses said? He's leading these people, and they're headed to the promised land. And God says, well, you go ahead and lead them, and I'll send an angel before you, but I'm not going. And Moses says, if you're not going, I don't want to go. I don't care if it's a lamb flowing with milk and honey. I don't care if I can be the leader. If I don't have you, I don't want this. What I want more than anything is for you to show me more of your glory. Is that the desire of your heart? Is that what drives you? One other thought about this as I look at the text. We've said God's blessings are never just for us. That God blesses us so we can be a blessing to other people. I think we have to say this as we look at the text too. You can't really be a blessing to other people unless you're willing to give of yourself, right? You can't really be a blessing to other people unless you're willing to give something. I mean, you see that in the text. We love these promises made to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. Lord, that's a promise for me too. Thank you. I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Thank you, Lord. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All people want to be blessed through you, Lord. Thank you for those promises. You know, those, that's verse 2 and 3. does he saying in 1 to Abram? Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I, I don't know what the Lord has for you. I don't know what specific way he's going to use you to bless other people. But I have to tell you, it doesn't come without some sacrifice to you right? Abram has to give up his country, his land that he's used to, the place that he's lived, his own clan, even his father's household, to go to this other place that he doesn't even know where it's going to be. And, and it's, that's the, the principle is true for all of us, that in order to bless other people, we've got to be willing to give up something ourselves, So if God blesses you so that you can be a blessing, we have to give up something. Let's start with something easy. This is an example. Let's start with money. That's an easy one because we always think somebody else has more money than us and they ought to be more generous with it. So I'll let you start out thinking about that person out there that has more money than you, right? Because you can nod your head and agree with this, right? If God has blessed them with money... That money, that blessing is not just for them. Yes, they enjoy those blessings that God has given them, but he's blessed them with that so that they can be a blessing to somebody else, and they should be generous. They're just stewards of that money that God has given them to use in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God. And the money shouldn't own their heart. God should own their heart, right? And they should want to use it for his glory and for his good. Now, when we say that, we say, that's right. And I know this guy's got a bunch of money, and he needs to do that. All right? Let's keep going. That's the principle. You see it. Maybe God's given you a lot of money, and those things are true of you. By the way, if you're living in the southeastern United States, you are a rich person compared to the rest of the world. Okay? We're very rich here. But it's more than just a material thing. If you're good at something, if you have a gift, an ability, a talent, yes, you may have worked at it and developed that, but God has given you that giftedness, right? Whether you're musical or mathematical, whether you're artistic or you have administrative gifts, God has given you those gifts, not just for you, not just to bless you, but so that you can use those gifts to build others up, so that you can use those gifts to be a blessing to other people. You cannot be a blessing to others unless you're willing to give of yourself. Do you do that? Do you look at the blessings that God has given you and say, you know, this isn't just for me. God's given this to me, and yes, I want to enjoy it. Thank you, Lord, I'm thankful. But I'm to be a blessing to other people. And so whatever it is that God has given me, I've got to hold that pretty loosely and just, just be a steward of that and to use it to bless other people because that's what God has called me to do. And by the way, that's what God has done, right? I mean, isn't that what Christmas is all about, that Jesus... Lives in the perfection of heaven where he's worshipped and adored. And he's willing to give up those blessings to come to earth. Why? Just because he wanted to? Because it would be fun? He's omniscient. He already knows everything, right? No, he comes here for our benefit so that we receive blessing, right? For the joy set before him. What was the joy? Our being in heaven with him. He was willing to give up the perfection of heaven so that we would receive blessing. That's what Christmas is all about. And he came to earth, and and even though he could have come as a king, and he is a king, but he didn't act like one. He could have come as a bazillionaire, but he didn't come that way. He came as a baby, born to very young parents. Who were penniless in poverty. And as he grows, he says to the, even as he develops a following, he says to them, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then he says to his disciples, those who follow him, you know, that's what I have for you too. The people of this world, when they get power, they get some kind of blessing. They lord it over everybody else, he says there in Mark chapter 10. Not so with you. If you're my follower, then I want you to be a servant. I want you to serve other people with whatever it is that God has given you. And that we too are here not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives to bless other people and to see God's kingdom grow. If, if you're not willing to give up some things to bless others and to see God's kingdom grow, if we're not willing to do that, we're really not listening to God because he's obviously called us to do that. We've seen that in the text. We're not following the example of Jesus. And perhaps it's because you've never really met him. You've never really had a real encounter with him. Or maybe you have and you've just forgotten it. Something happened a long time ago and you've gotten caught up in the things of this world and getting more and having more. And you've forgotten the glory and the goodness and the grace of God. You need to be reminded. But if you've never really met him, I want you to know, you're not living a life of blessing. As much as you cling to what you think is a blessing, you are under a curse. And it's that curse of your own sin. Because you will never truly be satisfied no matter how much of the blessing you get. And all of us deserve a curse from God. When we want to be blessed by God, but we care very little where, uh, whether other people enjoy blessings or not. But the good news of the Christmas story is that the ultimate goal of God's promise to Abraham and to us is that his blessing would prevail over cursing that his graciousness would prevail over judgment. And and we see in Galatians 3, that passage where we started, I want to end there, right? That the blessing is available for all who come to see that the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, is Christ Jesus, who became a curse for us, who took the curse of God that we deserve, So that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. That's why Paul can call this promise to Abraham the gospel. Because the good news of Christmas and the good news of the gospel are one and the same. That Jesus was willing to give so that we could be blessed. That God was willing to give his own son so that we could receive blessing that Jesus came and lived the life that we should have lived. The perfect pattern, the way God designed it to live. He, he, he lived that way. And then he, des- he died the death that we deserve so that we can receive the blessing of God. And that's what we celebrate during the Christmas season. And hopefully in all seasons of life. Let's pray and ask him to help us to remember that and to experience that and to live that way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We are a blessed people. You have blessed us with so much. I pray that you would give us more of yourself, that we would see your glory and your grace and your goodness, and that it would change our hearts. I just pray that you would be enough for us, that we'd hold everything else more loosely, and that we would use those things to bless other people and to see your kingdom grow. Because the desire of our heart and what we want more than anything is to see you glorified, to see you honored, to see you worship, because you are worthy of honor and glory and praise. Father, please come and do that in our hearts. No preacher can make that happen. No church can, can do that to people. Only you working by and through your Holy Spirit can do that. So we pray that you would come and do that here, in us, in our homes, amongst us. Please come.